Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. So, we're preparing a new teaching series. I think you heard a little bit bit about it from the Vision Sunday presentation given by Pastor Ian. And we're going to have a teaching series coming up on relationships. And we're going to be guided mostly by the teachings of Jesus from the Gospels. And that should be starting next Sunday. So my message today, however, is entitled, Unoffendable and a Beautiful Scandal. And we'll be looking at the passages from Ephesians 4 and Matthew 18. But a couple things I want to open up this passage, why I picked this particular topic. Have you noticed, maybe you haven't, that we live in a toxic culture of offense? Especially in the last three years or more than that, even going back. We're either being canceled in our online presence, we're being flamed in our social media by people who don't even know who we are. And recently I was taken aback where I assessed how many online news articles, especially those in the political section, reflect somebody expressing horror, being shocked, being affronted, describing disbelief about members of some group with whom they vehemently disagree. Unfortunately, the toxicity of offense has leaked out of our culture, and it's begun to enter the church. And it's having a negative effect on our relationships with one another. Our challenge is not to contribute to this toxicity, but instead to remain on task with our mission. And if you've been with us at NC4 for very long, you will come to understand The mission that we are all joined together in is, which many churches share in this mission, which is to know Jesus and to make him known. That is our primary business. And that is to say, if we aren't doing that, we need to ask the question, what are we doing? Because that is our mission. Of course, we have a lot of fun in the process. There's nothing wrong with having fun in the process. But we have Paul, what he did. How many of you remember Hogan's Heroes? Right? With Nazi Sergeant Schultz? Where he says, I see nothing, I know nothing. Right? So Paul wrote in his letter to the Corinthian church. And the church at that time was having divisions. Dare I say, some of those divisions were somewhat political. And so Paul reacts to the Corinthian church with all those divisions, and he makes this statement in 1 Corinthians 2. He said, I have decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So Paul's saying, I'm staying away from the politics here, okay? I want us to stay on task. And that's my invitation to all of us today, is to stay on task and not be diverted away from that. Stick to the main focus. Make the main thing the main thing. That's so very important. So the Corinthian Corinthian church began to experience 
something pretty bad in their relationships with one another. And a way to describe these bad feelings that they had towards one another could be defined by a good old-fashioned Bible word that's often translated in our Bibles, offend, offense, or offended. Good old-fashioned word. So let me begin today's message with a hypothesis about our relationships. I recently read this in a number of different places, and it was like all coming together. And this is the idea that I kind of pulled together and was able to read about. And that is my first point today. Christians should be the most unoffendable people on the planet. Really? When I first heard that described, is that possible? We have such a high standard in our belief systems. We're so offended by so many things in this culture. How can that be possible? So at first, but later I decided that I do agree with this hypothesis. And I'm going to try to express my reasons to you today in this message. This is a solid foundation to build on as we delve into relationships in a teaching series in the next couple of weeks. And the series that we have, we're going to cover so many different types of relationships. It's going to take us right into Easter, Resurrection Sunday, possibly even beyond that. And by relationships, we're going to address primarily the way Jesus addressed relationships. Husband, wife, parent, child, brothers and sisters, worker, employee, leader, follower, all relationships. First, I'm going to give a bit of clarity on the biblical use of the word, though, offense. There's various passages in the Bible where the early translators of the English word offense or offend or offended. And so there's actually multiple meanings. You have to to nuance this. This is subtle, but you have to nuance this. There's multiple meanings of this word offend, and you have to go to the context of that Bible passage to know what exactly are they talking about. So I'm also looking for a biblical reference to a particular kind of offense. This is the kind of offense that destroys relationships. And I'm going to use some personal examples, of course, to make this seem even more realistic to all of us. My first noted use in the scriptures of the word offend comes one of the most earlier translations, such as King James, American Standard, things like that, not New American Standard, where sometimes offend actually means causing someone to morally fall. That's what the word offense. Let me give you examples. Matthew 5, 29. Jesus says, if your right eye offends thee, pluck it out, cast it from you. What is Jesus talking about? How can your eye offend you? What he means is, if your eye causes you to fall. Matthew 18 had a millstone hung around his neck and were drowned in the depths of the sea. What does Jesus mean, offend, in that case? One of these little ones. It means cause to fall. That's what Jesus means there. So thankfully, modern Bible translators, they've retranslated this word offend to what it really means, such as causes to sin, which is really what it means. And while causing to sin is a serious situation, I'm not ignoring it. I'm just putting it aside for now because that's not the offense I'm most addressing today. There's another type of offense. It's called an offense that violates our sensitivities, religious sensitivities, things like that. 
Both Matthew 11 and Luke 7 have this word recorded that Jesus said this. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And that's most likely religious sensitivities. People have sensitivities to traditions because Jesus offended a lot of them and certainly religious traditions. There's another way you can use the word offend also. Maybe you have a sensitivity to this. Maybe your nose has some sensitivities, right? So in our fridge over in, at the Bethlehem office, people store food. And sometimes it goes past its due date, <laughs> past its sell-by date. And so most people are in there saying, oh, well, I'm going to just throw this out. I go, don't, don't throw it out. I'm going to check it to see if it's still good. And so I do as I open it up, whatever, I look inside it and I give it a good whiff. And if the biological action hasn't offended my nose, it's okay, okay? But I have to say and mention to everybody that that salsa there offends me. That's got to go, okay? Because I can't get it past my nose. So if it doesn't pass my nose test, it's offensive to me. And uh, while I can say that about maybe the, some of the food we have in our fridge, even that sometimes is a relative term. When we were on a trip down to Haiti, I bought a loaf of bread at the local food store thinking that'll be enough bread to last us for the week. But I wasn't thinking about was the fact that we're in the Caribbean, or is that Caribbean, whatever. Okay, we're in a very warm climate and bread doesn't last but three days. And on the fourth day, ooh, mold all over it. Well, that offended me. So... I said, I can't keep the bread. So I tossed it out. You know, our house guest, she's Haitian. Delightful lady. She, she died in the earthquake. But she took that loaf of bread out of the trash, scraped all of the mold off of it, and was serving it to her friends for breakfast the next day. Boy, I realized, where is my sense of offense relative to hers? That's a tough one. But here's in that place where I have really violated other people's sensibilities. It's in some of my messages, some of the things I've preached. So some of you guys know this, these stories. They need to be told again because they have to have a purpose. So I thought today would be a good, good opportunity for this. And I was once preaching on a message on holiness. And I didn't think it would offend anybody because who could not preach on holiness sometime, Right? Be holy even as your heavenly Father is holy. Good message, right? And this lady in the front row over there is wrestling in her purse for something. She's looking for something in her purse, and I'm getting very nervous. <laughs> she's not liking what she's hearing, okay? So my son-in-law, who's sitting in the row behind her, he said, I hope she's not reaching in there to get a gun, <laughs> you know? So then in the middle of my message, she gets up, she marches to the back of the sanctuary, and on her way out the door, she says, why don't you preach about love, you jerk? Well, that's like, all right, the message is over. Everybody just go home. Nobody's going to listen to a word I say because everyone evidently very much offended by what I was preaching. And I just said, everybody, can we pray for this lady? Because actually the ushers said she had a few choice words for them on her way out too. So we prayed. We just prayed for her and we recovered the message and we just went on. And I never thought another thing about it except that we prayed for the lady, done. Okay, moving on. Well, two days later, she was in the news. 
because the SWAT team in Allentown was surrounding her apartment because she was holding a gun. <laughs> Tony's to the head of her boyfriend. Wow. So Tony said, do you know what the name of that lady was who was here? I said, no, I don't remember much. I do remember who she was living with. Well, she was in the news. And she maybe had a gun in her bag. I says, well, I don't want, I'm glad I, I offended her maybe in some regards. But, oh boy, that could have been dangerous offense. Could have been a dangerous offense. But here's another one too. I preached on this once. Oh, this was really great. I inherited a tradition from Pastor Douglas T. Seidel. And that was to always have a prop that would go with my message. So we're preaching on Hebrews 12. Let us throw off every encumbrance of sin that so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. So my prop was, of course, to be dressed with all these clothes and bags and heavy coat and all these things. And underneath, I had my running outfit. So in front of the congregation, I, by the way, I never checked with Lisa about my props. Because she would have said, don't do this. So anyway, I did. I did. I, I stripped right there in front of the congregation down to my running clothes. But they were very light-colored shorts. And I didn't think about that at all. I just wanted to make my point about running the race. You know, you get it? Get it? And then, of course, some woman later on said to me, she says, well, you answered that question. I go, what do you mean? Boxers or briefs? Okay. So anyway, I made my point in my message. It was, it was a shock value. You know what I mean? But what I didn't realize is I actually caused an offense. I offended some women's sensibilities with that message. And I had to go on an apology tour after that message. <laughs> because I did violate some sensibilities. Okay. I hope I don't violate... Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> that I just do something wrong? <laughs> oh, well. I, I will continue. Oh, here we go. <laughs> oh, so I'm a little sensitive to this part, you know what I mean? So, but mainly the whole thing, you get it, right? It causes an offense sometimes for things that you would never imagine would be offensive, but nonetheless... It offends somebody. Well, this is not quite, but it's getting closer to the type of offense that I am talking about here. And let me make mention of this one. In Matthew 13, it says this. When Jesus had preached in the synagogue and mentioned the fact that he's the fulfillment of Isaiah 40. And he says, this scripture is fulfilled today in your hearing. Well, it says they took offense at him. And Jesus even finishes saying, look, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and his own household. Luke's version of that passage says this, they were enraged at him. So their offense came to the highest level. So now we're getting really close to what I'm talking about as far as an offense. In all of these passages, there's a Greek word that describes this offense. The Greek word is this, Scandalizio, scandalizio, to create embarrassment, to cause displeasure, even to the point 
of anger. As you might have guessed, scandalizo is where we get our modern word, scandal, or to scandalize. A scandal is an act of something that we consider morally or legally wrong. It induces public outrage or anger. It's just wrong. This is the offense I'm talking about today. So our definition for offend is this, to cause someone to feel insulted or to be feel like they've been treated in a way that makes them angry. This is important because feelings of offense often manifest as emotions of anger, rage, or bitterness. Which brings me to my next point for today. This is an important point to bring up. You cannot address, adequately address, offenses without addressing anger. They're connected. So developing a comprehensive teaching on anger is very long. I'm not going to do that today. But I do want to show how offense in our relationships is strongly associated with anger, resulted in brokenness and strained relationships. Offense. Is anybody offended yet? Give me a chance. (laughs) Regarding anger, Dallas Willard wrote this. I have this quote up there too. Anger is the most fundamental human problem, fundamental problem in human life. That is to say this, if you have a problem with anger because something somebody said to you or by something that happened to you, you're going to have a problem in all your relationships. If you've got a problem with anger, it's going to affect all your relationships. Think this through. Let's pause. I'm going to share some of my experiences with offenses. Some of these are offenses that offended me, where I became angry. Oh, I know, I know. I often say out loud, I don't have a problem with anger. I don't have an angry bone in my body. I boast. But that's not the truth, the whole truth, or anything close to the truth. (laughs) Ask my wife about that. Okay, this is one thing I call my righteous anger, and that is, I get offended if you lie to me. Judy Fry and I were talking about this regarding pastoral counseling. Why do you lie to your counselor or why do you lie to your pastor? If you go into them for help, why lie to them? It makes no sense. Yet Lisa and I were confronting this one young man who was cheating on his wife. We didn't have the proof, otherwise I would have handed him the proof, but we knew what was going on. So I wanted him to admit it to us. He would not. He just lied to us. And I was offended. I was very much offended. And after that session, (laughs) the colorful time of my life. Anyway, I've always been colorful, haven't I, darling? Yes. I said, that lying sack of manure. I didn't say manure, though. Of course, Lisa said, that's only the first time I've ever heard you say anything like that in your whole life. <laughs> or since then, darling, right? My pristine lips were, were spoiled by that event. I was offended and I was angry and I had no control over it. And I just said that to her on her way out to the car. I was mad. And I thought it was righteous anger, right? But here's another one too. This is a good story. I have a lot of stories today. 
because they really capture this well. So we, we might go over time. I don't even know what time it is. Oh, there, now I do. Okay. <laughs> when I was in school, I actually went to a fraternity. <gasps> a fraternity? Bob, really? That's offensive right there, isn't it? <laughs> anyway, I was in a fraternity mixed with guys who were engineering students, very serious, very studious, a lot of pressure. And then business majors. For them, it was a little bit like a vacation. And I did. Didn't I offend every business major here? Right? <laughs> but see, one of our professors said something very astute. He said, don't make fun of your business major friends who get up and sleep in till noon, all those stuff, because someday they'll be your boss. Yeah. <laughs> and I learned that. That's right. But anyway, in this case, I did something else which some, I have a habit of doing, which is I try to jam life with all the stuff I can stuff into life. So I decided I'd go for, I don't know, rather than a load of 15 credits, I'd go for 23 credits. Who does that? <laughs> right? I did. Anyway, I actually dropped out of the first class and I got down to 21 credits. So I have 21 credits. I'm getting to the final exam period of time. And at Lehigh University, during the period of that quiet study time before finals, you'd think there was a death on campus because there's dead silence everywhere. Everyone is cranked up. You can feel the tension in the air. Well, I was part of that. I had a solid F going into organic chemistry. And if I'm going to pull this thing out, I got to study, I got to study, I got to stay. So I'm studying like nuts. I really am. All the hours I'm putting into this. And somebody in the fraternity thought it'd be a great idea. Oh, right. So we all slept in one big dormitory. We, our rooms were for study. It was like a barracks. And so at the end of the hallway, all of us slept in one big room. Bunk beds all over the place, right? And somebody in the middle of final exams thought it'd be clever to do a plate spin. Do you know what a plate spin is? Take a plate on a tile floor and you throw it into the tile floor and it goes, right? Really loud in the middle. I said, I am under so much pressure. I can't believe somebody would do this. I picked up that plate without any thought whatsoever. I opened the door in the dormitory. I threw it down to the end of the hallway, hoping I'd hit somebody. <laughs> and I'm a Christian. Great witness, right? You know, I lost it. I had no control. My rage was unbelievable because of my circumstances. And what it happened, it happened another night and I smashed another plate. This time I ran down the hall, smashed it into the trash barrel. And then at dinner, everybody was quiet. And they said, who's going to pay for those plates that were broken? I was the treasurer. And I said, new rule, okay? If a plate comes in the cold dorm, it's going out at very high speed. So if you don't want any more plates broken, keep them out of the cold dorm. And everybody was silent. So that's the kind of rage that came out of me. And people said, Bob Rantler, did you do that? Yes, I did. So I know what it is to be so offended to do some things that are uncontrollable rage. Then I have another story. I'm, these are good stories. I don't have much time for them. My brother borrowed my 1966 Volkswagen Beetle. Beautiful candy apple red. 
paint job we put on that thing. It was gorgeous. And I used to take it and bring people to fellowship. We packed seven people into that little Volkswagen Beetle and a guitar and went to fellowship every Saturday. But my brother said to me, hey, man, I got this date on New Year's Eve. My car's laid up. Can I borrow your car? Okay. He said, I'll, I'll, I'll take good care of it. He promised me. So he brought my car. Uh, you know how the story's going to end, don't you, right? I come home from the fellowship meeting. Somebody drops me off. I get to the door. My mom answers the door and she says, your brother ruined your car. He wrecked it. Oh, man. Well, hold on. Isn't anger good, though? Or isn't it necessary? Ever hear that somebody say this? Sometimes you need to get angry to get serious about something. Have you ever heard that? Is anything better with anger, though? Seriously, do you want your surgeon to operate on you angry? Or have my female urologist about to do surgery on my prostate right after she learned that her husband cheated on her? I don't think so. I don't think that surgery is going to go better because she's angry. Do you know what I mean? So I I don't see that anger is a good thing, if you know what I mean. And I have biblical support for this too, okay? That is, when is there ever a righteous anger? A couple of places, maybe Paul in some of his writings got angry. Maybe Moses even modeled good anger. Jesus was peeved at the money changers in the temple. So there are places where there's righteous anger anger. But let me say this, even God gets angry, right? But I don't think that attribute of God should be imitated. I don't think we have any place. In fact, God says, hey, vengeance is mine. It's not yours, you see. So there really is, I'm going to build this case, there's no place for letting our offense lead to anger. It doesn't do anything good James wrote to us and says, look, the anger of man doesn't produce the righteousness of God. And most of the wisdom literature, Proverbs and other places, when they talk about somebody with anger, they say it's foolish to be angry. So here I am, this far into where we're going, and I want to move to our first text. I know I apologize, I usually don't do this, but this is fun today. All right. So the first text is from Ephesians chapter 4. If you want to turn in your Bibles or on your pads or on your smartphone, prefaces, Paul's addressing our behaviors as new Christians. And then right at verse 25, he starts talking about our relationships with one another. And this is what he says, verse 25. Having then put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we're members one of another. Be angry and do not sin, which is a direct quote from Psalm 4, verse 4. Okay, he's just quoting scripture. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give opportunity to the devil. Who would want to do that? Let the thief no longer steal. Let him be him who labors, labor doing honest work with his hands, that you might have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is good for building up. That means building up one another. As is fit on the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear it. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God 
by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And we're going to get to the meaning of that in our second reading today. And I used to say to people, if we just obeyed the scriptures where it says one another and did that in our marriages alone, we'd have pretty good marriages. But for some reason, familiarity breeds contempt in the worst possible forms. This is a warning to all of us. So a few remarks I want to make about this passage here. The first one is this. Why is it everybody loves that passage? Oh, be angry, but don't sin. Be angry, but don't sin. Well, then why do you capture that and you miss verse 31, where Paul says, put away all wrath. Put away all anger. So what is anger good for? Why do I always have to justify my anger? It'd be wise just to avoid anger altogether, to take your offense and get over it quickly and drop it. Proverbs 19, 11 says this, good sense makes one slow to anger and it's to his glory to overlook an offense. So let me ask, how long do you want to open yourself for the devil's opportunity? How long? How long do you want to be in that state where Satan's going to jump on your head? How long? That's your choice. You want to wait till tomorrow to get over your anger or never? That's your choice, but you're opening yourself to Satan. That's what the Bible says. I didn't make this up. And anger and unforgiveness is a lethal combination for both our bodies, our physical health. Oh my goodness. The effects of anger and keeping an offense, loss of sleep, anxiety, depression, physical disorders. There was this woman who came up for prayer after the service one time, and I could tell by the look on her face. She was asking for prayer for her arthritis. Arthritis. And I thought, this isn't just arthritis. God, what's going on here? And then I said, Do you, are you, did you really get hurt by somebody? Are you really offended by somebody in your life? And she started breaking out in tears. And it was a husband who hurt her so badly and left her. And she never, ever forgave him. And that came pouring out of her eyes. I said, ma'am, I think you'll be healed. But when you get rid of this anger. And you know what? She wasn't willing to let go of it. She would not forgive him. And she went out that night unforgiven and unhealed. And I think they're related. You're playing God as judge, jury, and if you could even be an executioner. It's exhausting. And we were never designed for that level. We were not designed for any of this. How many of you guys have ever seen the movie The Help? The Help? It talks about race relations, of course, in the 1950s in the South. And this one maid, her name is Abilene. It's played by Viola Davis. Great scene here. 
and she confront, confronts her client, Miss Lily. Miss Lily, Miss Lily, oh, she's a judgmental, racist, holier than thou, easily offended, very angry housewife. And finally, in this one scene, Abilene gets up to gumption to address Miss Millie, and she said, Ain't you tired, Miss Millie? Miss Helly, ain't you tired? Because as you watch this, you just realize, man. And I read this, I saw the YouTube video of this scene again. And I heard God say to me, hey, Bob, aren't you tired of having to assess other people's value, noting how they treat you, and then harboring this cringe of offense in your soul? Bob, aren't you tired of living like that? It's really hard. It's time consuming. It's mentally draining to keep an offense in our soul. So I've committed in my heart, I'm going to turn into that person or that situation and I'm going to hand it all over to the Lord and I'm going to drop it. If you would say with me today, let's move on. Let's drop that offense. Listen, this gets better. It really does. So I'm going to read a passage of scripture here. And it's usually recited and talking about forgiveness of one another. But there's a key part in this passage that we're going to get to. Matthew 18, which of course talks about how to be reconciled when somebody sinned against you. But then he tells this little story about the kingdom of God. I'm going to edit this for you. Can I? Last time you read it. Matthew 18, let's go to verse 21. That's close to this. Peter came up and says to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Or should I say, I have to forgive him? And he says, many as seven times, thinking that's a lot, right? And Jesus says, I do not say seven times. I say 70 times, seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wishes to settle accounts with his servants. The actual literal translation is slave. Just so you guys know the quality of this servant, okay? And when he began to settle, one of them brought to him, one who was brought to him, owed him 10,000 talents. I don't know what a talent is, so I could just move on in the passage. 10,000 talents is, I heard somebody just give an estimate now, in today's dollars is about three and a half billion dollars. What? I can't even picture three and a half billion dollars. More importantly, how did this slave rack up a debt like that to the king? I don't know, but he did, okay? And that's, Jesus knows this. This is a big number, but that's what you owe the king. He's serving, this, he's going on with the servant. And since he could not pay, of course he could not. His master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and everything he had and payment be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Lie, 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 lie. There's no way he's going to pay back three and a half billion dollars. You kidding me? So out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. What? Three and a half billion dollars. Who would forgive that much? But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. hundred denarii is about a hundred days wages. So it's about somewhere in that ballpark. All right, $15,000. So seizing him, he began to choke him and say, pay what you owe. 
So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him and said these words, have patience with me. I will pay you. Well, he refused and he went and he put him in prison until he should pay that debt of 10 or $12,000. What? And when his fellows, all the other servants, when they saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. They sensed something here, didn't they? And they went and they reported to the master, the king that is, all that had taken place. Well, when the master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you that debt, three and a half billion dollars, because you pleaded with me. And you should have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. So in anger, here it is anger, righteous anger, his master, the king, delivered him over to the jailers until he'd pay all of his debt of three and a half billion dollars. Man. And if that's not enough, Jesus ends with this phrase that shakes me to the bone. So also, my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother, your sister, from your heart. Man, those are strong words. And the first time I came to realize the quantity, do you understand what Jesus did here? He's using big words to talk about big anger, big offense. And yet, Jesus reveals in this passage what should be the prescription for how we are to handle all the offenses against us. All the scandals that produce offenses in us are all addressed by this concept here. This is my next point. Jesus reveals the beautiful scandal of our forgiveness. You see, it is scandalous. It is shameful. It is unjust that this king would forgive this slave three and a half billion dollars. And that's what Jesus is trying to say. This is an enormous amount of money, embarrassingly large amount of money. But he's telling the story because what we don't know yet when he's telling this story is the price that he's going to pay for us. The demonstrated love that God has for us. How much we are forgiven by God. That's what Jesus is telling them. We didn't even know it yet when we first read this passage when he shared this. A servant to be given a debt like that, that is scandalous. But if you're that servant, it's beautiful. This beautiful. So I heard this quote that somebody put together and he said it like this. It takes childlike faith to embrace God's love for us, to really realize how scandalous, how unfair it all is, but then to say, but I'll take it. I'll take that forgiveness because I need it. See, that's the secret of all this. The ability, no, the mandate to forgive offenses against us is by remembering where we were forgiven. That's the key. And to comprehend or attempt to comprehend the extravagant love of our king master when he forgave us. And of course, those words that Jesus finished with, 
that if you can't forgive, truly forgive your brother for his offenses towards you, your sister, well, then your father is going to deliver you to the jailers to pay for all your offenses. Look, I don't fully understand that. Whatever that means, I have some deep and dark interpretations of what that might mean, but I don't want to think about that. So I think I've decided, all right, I'll forgive. I'll choose forgiveness. And I had two sisters in my office, terrible church fight between the two of them. Seodia and Syntyche type of wrestling match between these ladies. And they were really at a, and the one woman said, you know what? I forgive her. I mean, it hurt what she did, but I forgive her. I says, why do you forgive her? She says, because I'm afraid of what God will do to me if I don't. That's powerful. That is absolutely powerful. So this is why I think every Christian is free to be unoffendable, that they must be unoffendable. And this is the main reason, because God is my father. I know God is my father. Everything I have is his. Everything the Lord gave me, he gave it out of his graciousness. I didn't deserve any of it. So when you develop that understanding, when you come to grasp the truth of that, there's not much that's going to offend you. Certainly not for long. Because you know how forgiven you are. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He will take care of your situation. All that I own is his. My bank accounts are his. My reputation is his. My car is his, oh, right, my car. So what you didn't tell you in that story was the week before my brother asked for the car, I took somebody's advice and they said, you should dedicate that car to God because they probably knew I was making it an idol, right? And I said, okay, I dedicate this car to God for his purposes. God, it's yours. Those words came out of my mouth. And he just said, we'll see. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things, you know? And then four days after I'd done that, this thing happened to the car. And at first, when my mother told me, I almost laughed. I almost laughed. But I thought, oh, God. <laughs> You're testing me. You're really testing me, you know? And I was able to just say, you know what? Don't worry about it. And he said, no, 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 I'll buy you any car you want tomorrow. We'll go out buying any car you want. I said, it's okay. Don't worry about it. This is my older brother, Rick. You don't know Rick. Two days after that, he says, listen, I'll buy you any Volkswagen you want. And then a week later, he says, I'll help you fix it. (laughs) And that's what we ended up doing. Anyway. I have a two-sided mirror, and on one side of that mirror, and I hope you all have this mirror, I see who I really am in Jesus, okay? Every one of you need that. Those of you who suffer poor self-esteem, poor self-worth, you have to know who you are and what you're worth to God. That's what you need to know when you look in that mirror, so you have to get that mirror. But you have to also at some time look to the other side of that mirror and remember what I used to be like. Pastor Rex, a few weeks ago on his Wednesday study group, covered the passage that says, 
You know, you were all these nasty things, he tells the Corinthians, Paul does. But such were some of you. Okay? All these people who are condemned, yeah, this, this is bad stuff. But you were some of the, some of you did exactly the same thing. So you have to remember from whence you came. Paul says what? I am a chief of sinners. I'm the worst. But Paul also knew who he was in Christ. We have to get both sides of this right. It's very important. And that enables you to say, look, I understand. The- so I need to take this whole idea of why I'm so offended and do something different with it. And maybe somebody's watching today right now where you need to receive forgiveness for all of the things you've done wrong in your life, where you need to come to grips with the fact that Jesus died for you and paid an enormous price. Dare I say it's a price that I have not even conceived of myself, but I need to remember. And so I'm telling to everyone else who's struggling with sin, you can be forgiven by saying these simple words, please have mercy on me. Please forgive me. Now I'm going to pray a prayer. It's a very short prayer, but it will capture for you what you need to pray. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for everything that I've done in my life. And I have resisted your calling on me. Please have mercy on me. Please forgive me. And I thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross to pay what I owed so that I can be forgiven and set free. I want to know, Lord, what your idea and plan is for my life. Please come in now, Lord Jesus. If you prayed that prayer or agreed with that prayer with me, you have to tell somebody about that because we want so much to invite you into a life walking and knowing Jesus. If that's you here today, come speak to me after the service. Speak to somebody you came with maybe and tell them that you prayed that prayer today. Everyone else, please stand. So I want to start with a disclaimer. Important one. If you've been, there are some offenses which you, all offenses which you must forgive, but you don't have to live under that offense the rest of your life. What I'm saying is some offenses are so offensive that you need to get out of that situation. Get some pastoral help. Speak to somebody about your situation because you shouldn't have to face that offense day in and day out the rest of your life. But speak to somebody wiser than yourself and get some help for that. So here's my challenges. Can we lower all of our religious sensibilities? Jesus was so offensive to the Pharisees. He's still offensive to us today. Let's lower those sensitivities and not be offended at what Jesus does. The word is still true to us to this day. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me, is what Jesus said. Let's decide to do this too. Decide you're going to walk your life with hearts that are ready to forgive offenses. 
because the offenses will come. They will come every single day. Decide right now, I'm going to forgive. I'm going to drop every offense that comes into my heart. I'm just going to do that. Commit that daily. And to do this, oh, this is hard. To do the hard work of forgiveness and reconciliation in relationships where small offenses have built up and built up and built up. That's hard work to unwrap those, but they have to be done because the relationships are worth it. Let's pray. Let's pray. God, would you shine light upon the offenses that we're holding in our hearts right now towards those who offended us? Lord, show us again how loved we are by you. God, would you give us as we stand in front of all that you have forgiven us for, God. Lord, forgive us when we place a higher value on things in our lives rather than on relationships with other people. And so, Lord, we commit afresh to keep ourselves clear of offenses, to keep accounts short. Lord, we commit to that now through your Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. I want to speak God's blessing over all of you today as you go. Bow your heads if you would. God, would you, by your Holy Spirit, Lord, you see all the offenses in this room that nobody else sees, but Holy Spirit, you see them all. But I pray, Lord, that they would be blessed to become unoffended ones, unoffended ones who know that Jesus died to save them. Lord, that they could give that blessing to others. And Lord, let this commitments that we've made today, God, hold us to the words we spoke in our hearts. And Lord, we want to be unoffended ones, the most unoffended people on the face of this planet. Thank you, Jesus. Let them go forth with your power, Lord. Amen. Bless all you guys. Thank you for listening to the NC4 Podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word Jesus to 610-816-6062.